0: Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. You know what you're thinking? Mine's bigger than yours, right? It's not fair. Throw it away. All right. <laughs>
1: Tell me Tell
0: me about Disneyland
1: They got tons of popcorn there And all you gotta do is go climb a tree To go eat it
0: (laughs) It was a night Like any other night Then Something happened Oh good lord It's It's unbelievable It's Hey.
1: Hey, wait. There's something weird here. Welcome to the Really Awful Movies podcast, a celebration of low-budget cinema.
0: The sleep of reason gives birth to monsters.
1: Hi, my name's Chris, and along with Jeff, we're bringing you the very best and worst of horror, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic wasteland, kung fu, Women in Prison movies from the 1960s to today. Check us out at reallyawfulmovies.com, part of the Crypt TV family. We're at downtown Headquarters. Here's episode 187 Stu Rosenberg's 1979 feature, The Amityville Horror. As opposed to the uh, short film? And the light operatic
0: uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, one man show. I don't know. <laughs> Well, it's interesting you bring up Stuart Rosenberg's Amityville Horror, because uh, that's not a name that that instantly springs to mind when people think of horror directors. Stuart Rosenberg is not somebody who is prolific within the genre, but he's directed a few things here and there, some noble films. The one that comes immediately to mind, of course, is the Paul Newman classic, Cool Hand Luke, famous for the line. What he's, we've got here is failure to communicate.
1: You know, you're there, not saying say Guns Roses, that's <laughs> not uh,
0: but... Uh, <laughs> Hopefully, we'll, we will not fail to communicate our thoughts on this movie. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because this is an AIP production, so this is something that was produced by Samuel Ziarkov, who was you know they recognize
1: a, the name right off the bat. It gives you like a good yep.
0: feeling. All our great, all the great corman uh, driving favorites, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Uh, this, upon its release, was the most successful AIP production ever. I, I think that record still stands. It was also one of the most successful independent productions of the year, and it still stands again as one of the most successful independent productions ever. And this, you can attribute it to a lot of reasons. You can attribute that to the horror boom that was starting with The Exorcist and Halloween and so on. You can attribute that to the popularity of the source novel. I believe it was, was it James Anson? Who wrote I think the so, novel? yeah. And you can also attribute that to claims of veracity. and This is based on a true story. So, that's something that I want to talk about. But but before I get to that, the Amityville Horror, it's very interesting, because, talk about a little film that could, I mean, independent production, AIP, it ended up making a shitload of money, and then it spawned a cottage industry of Sequels and prequels and reboots and so on and so forth. Even a documentary uh, by, that came out about a year or two ago called *Miami Horror*. I think it was George Lotz who was actually explaining mm. what happened, you know, to him. In, yeah, yeah. quote unquote set the record happened? straight. Yeah. 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 Mm. But this is a film that spawned two official sequels. One being in 3D. There will be *Amityville 3D* which came out in, in, (laughs) of course, Animal 3D in 1983. Then there was an unofficial sequel, a whole whack of direct-to-video sequels. It was remade in 2005, starring Ryan Reynolds. And now they're even rebooting it yet again. It was supposed to come out this summer, I think it's called Amityville, The Awakening, but this is always a sign of a great film. They pushed back the release date, so now it just says 2017 on IMDb. This, this story has been told and told and retold, exploited and, and stretched in and so on for the past close to 30 40 years. 40 years, yeah, if yeah. you yeah. include,
1: I guess, the one little snippet of veracity from which it's actually based, and uh, kind of like the Manson f- uh, mansion. It is this house where this took place is still a tourist draw of One Twelve Ocean Boulevard, Long Island, New York. People they still did, go.
0: They did change the windows.
1: They did, and the yeah. house was recently for sale.
0: I saw in the New York Post. I think as recently as last year. And yeah, I, yeah, you mentioned it being a tourist attraction, and it has been, and it still is. Uh, but they did change the iconic windows, which sort of look like eyes. Yeah. Iconic like eyes. That's now cool. It just, Plain old square windows, mm. but that uh, yeah. would you would you buy the Amityville house? It's hard to say
1: because because we you don't have the money. Do <laughs> well, but, yeah, <laughs> that disqualifies both of us uh, from the
0: outset. But if you uh, had the money, would you purchase the Amityville uh, house?
1: This whole business about like bad mojo and and negative associations uh, from something having transpired. I mean, on a very low level. Like I live in a high rise apartment. As mm. I said before in the podcast, my neighbor died uh, when I first moved in. And no one noticed, and then there started to permeate the halls was this smell and I thought it was it was a, like a dead mouse because that 's the only like stench of death to put it any other way that I was familiar with, and then it got more pronounced, more pronounced, more pronounced, and then I was opening windows, I was like running the, the thing on the top of the stove i don 't know what that 's called like the filter thing, and then the next day yellow tape over the guy 's door mm-hmm. so that apartment. <laughs> Welcome to your new apartment. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare, to quote Alice Cooper. Yeah. And so yeah, whoever moved in there doesn't know the history of it. This guy was starting to like rot mm-hmm. and the maggots and the whole business. So if, if I'm fine with that, I mean, this guy's bedroom is essentially next to mine within, let's say, 10 feet away. I mean, what can you do, right? If you had to look back, uh, we live in a relatively new country and a new continent, but like look at other places, like look at Jerusalem or something. Some old ancient city where we have hundreds and hundreds of people living in some house. Mm-hmm. It's almost inevitable, like statistically, something terrible would have happened in every house. I mean, so what what are you gonna do, right?
0: Well with this house, there's something that we know happened and that was a mass murder. And there's something that was claimed to have happened and had some sort of <laughs> demonic possession. Yeah. And <clears throat> We'll get to that again in a moment or two because I want to continue down that line of purchasing the Amityville house. You know, <laughs> the tagline of this movie is the "houses have memories," and it's mentioned yeah. in the movie where I believe uh, the character George Lots the character played by James Brolin, says houses don't have memories because unlike many a horror film where people unwittingly move into a house where heinous acts are committed, <laughs> yeah. they knew it was. It was yeah, that's knew, true. Yeah, and uh, that's why they were gang of steel. They said this house is worth one twenty. It's on the mark for 80, but we can get it because there was this horrific mass murder that was committed. Now, I don't believe in much of the supernatural or ghosts or... The occult. I don't believe in that. Mm. But it's funny because, I mean, some people really do. In fact, another film series that has been uh, wildly popular of late, and there's going to be another sequel coming out soon, The Conjuring. And that's based on the exploits of these so-called real paranormal investigators, the Warrens. And uh, based on some of their... And Annabelle, the spinoff, that whole thing. And the Warrens actually investigated the Amityville home after the book came out. So there's a little connection to The Conjuring. Oh, interesting. Now, you mentioned Manson. Um... The Tate LaBianca house. I remember back when uh, Nineteen released yeah, the Trend, Downward Spiral. Trent Reznor bought the house yeah, the Well, he had yeah. bought it, he rented it. Oh, okay. For the duration, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm recording. sure that still costs,
1: like, you know, yeah. 20 grand a month or for, whatever.
0: <laughs> for the duration of recording hmm. Downward Spiral, he lived there, they recorded there, etc. And he claims that at night he would hear this, there was this happening, and this, and that. You know what? The way it if you want it to happen, it's going to happen. Oh, exactly, yeah. You know, if you want to hear a sound, you're going to hear a if sound. If you're prejudiced
1: toward that stuff, yeah, yeah
0: for sure. So, the question is, would I want to buy the the Lutz house or the Emeryville house? I don't think it's worth eight hundred fifty grand. I think it's a poor investment. <laughs> <So> the <laughs> answer is no. Well,
1: well, I guess it depends. Like, is it just the ordinary run of the mill murder, or or does it actually up the ante? When this is pretty sinister because kids are involved, so that. I don't know. I think, I think it would matter that whether it's just a run-of-the-mill, you know, your garden variety, if you will, drive-by or something, or some spousal murder. Dining but this, w- this was, I love it. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Isn't that just awful? Yeah. But this was very prominent because it happened in the, in the 70s and not too short a time before this was actually filmed. I think mm-hmm. it was a four-year uh, time span. But yep. th- and it, it just made me laugh, well, in a kind of creepy way that the three people who were imprisoned at the same time as the killer of the, in the original Amityville, the real part of the Amityville horror was, I think, one of those New York guys. The Son of Sam? Son of Sam, or one of those, and then there's the Genesee River killer who was a prostitute murderer in Rochester, which is not far from here. So you had these three, little creepos in there at the same time. Yeah, he he basically got a shotgun, yeah, killed, so uh, f- uh, what is it, four kids, and... and
0: this is DeFeo. Fa- this is
1: uh, Ronald DeFeo.
0: Jr., who in 1974 grabbed a shotgun, and this is 100% true, and he killed his entire family. That being his mother, his father, and four of his siblings. I believe that he was... I believe... Well, they make reference in the movie to... Him being arrested in a bar, he was sitting in a bar when he got yeah. arrested. <laughs> yeah. And that is true. He was that sitting in a bar, true. he was arrested. He brought
1: it up, in fact, at the, at the, at the bar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's interesting conversation there.
0: And you you mentioned just very recently, I was not aware of this, that DeFeo is up for parole this year.
1: He is, and much like, again, the Manson connection, he will not be granted parole. So have no fear, people.
0: The streets are still stay, safe from Ronald Butch DeFeo. So the murders it's happened. And then, after that, shortly thereafter the Lutz family moved in. And this is a fan now I'm talking about real life. I'm not talking about the movie right now. Mm-hmm. This is George Lutz, mm-hmm. his uh his wife, their new his newlywed wife, Kathy, who was previously married and had three kids, and they moved into this house that they lived in for all of twenty eight days. Twenty eight days later, they left the house, just as the movie says, left all their personal belongings, took off and then they claim that there was all this supernatural hoo-ha that went on in the house. <laughs> hoo-ha! Yeah, all these... <laughs> That's my al <old> Pacino, right? <laughs> you know, and then the book was written, and then it became a sensation, and they claim to this day that it was true. But the reality is that it's been debunked over and over and over again. First of all, well, I mean, not that it matters, what, but, I mean, in the movie, George Wess is played by James Brolin, and Kathy's played by Margaret Kidder. Not that it matters, but they, while they're filming the movie, they hung out with George Lutz, you know, to kind of get some, you know, do some research. Yeah. And And they got the sense that this guy was full of shit. Yeah, and like many liars, he was unable
1: to stick to one version of the story, so there's always tons Mm -hmm. of variations. As uh, Judge Judy says, uh, when you tell the truth, you don't need a good memory. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we
0: always Mm -hmm. love to quote Judge Judy. And there's also an attorney, and his name is William Weber, and he went on record to say that he concocted the story. With the Lutzes. Yeah. So, the we're, question is, were the Lutzes the victim of actual paranormal haunting or occult possess, possession? Or were they just crass opportunists? And if they were crass opportunists, why would they do that? Like, I mean, it's it's bizarre to come up with such a, a bizarre tale. But, I don't know. I, I'm going to go on record right now and say that I, I think it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yet another reason why, I guess I would have no problems living in the house. The murders happened long ago. How's oh yeah, again, memories? yeah. If
1: it was more recent, again, but we, if, you, if something about which you had no memory, it's it's well enough into the past. I mean, nineteen seventy four, uh, we weren't alive. Doesn't matter, right? So yeah, but I guess another question is what to what what value does the veracity or non uh, veracity, if that's a word, of this tail, and the subsequent reactions to it, and all this stuff with this paranormal, like, does that really affect the final product here? Because there's others of this ilk, where people go and buy a house that's a steal, the house turns out to be something untoward. I mean, we podcasted many of these, like the Sentinel, or Burnt Offerings, or something like that. Does it really add anything to to have something true
0: that happened? I mean, this could have been anything, really, right? Like does it really? I mean, make, you know, are you saying it's an add to the movie? Yeah, yes, and it does because, for example, I'll bring up yet again Texas Chainsaw Massacre because yeah. that was purported to be based on a true story, and yes, it was loosely, and I mean very loosely, based on the story of Ed Gein. But because Toby Hooper and went on, and the people that market that movie said, "No, oh, this is absolutely one hundred percent fact," people took that movie as so much more than what it really was. In fact. You know, like I said before, because of the movie, because of the genius of the movie, a lot of people actually thought it was a documentary. <laughs> but um, I think for the, and then I even think recently, again, Conjuring, Paranormal Activity, all you gotta say is this is based on a true story, and audiences will 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 eat it up with a spoon.
1: Yeah, I guess it really all depends on the craft. Because when you mentioned the, those killings and the actual uh, the actual DeFeo murders, like as they're referenced in the movie, that was maybe a couple of the times I was really like taken. Into it because mm-hmm. when you have a kid just lying there in bed, and then some maniac comes in, and just dispatches with them, that was very unsettling to watch. So mm-hmm. that, those were the parts that really affected me. And this is, I guess, wife Kathy having these kind of pseudo flashbacks, or there's, there they're not really flashbacks. The you know the it's more the director flashing back to well, the real life stuff. So that was actually
0: quite affecting. Okay. Not so much the paranormal stuff thereafter. So let's let's segue from talking about. Mm what may be real and what may not be real, and i like actually talk about the movie. Uh, yeah. The movie starts off wonderfully. A wonderful theme by Lalo Schifrin, noted composer Lalo Schifrin. Really cool. Yeah. yeah, with like a la-la-la-la-la Yeah, refrain. children's
1: chorus, okay, yep.
0: which has come become de rigueur, but was actually really well done here. Mm-hmm. And it's quite effective how they showed the murder in the house, because they have these iconic windows that sort of look like eyes, and you just see flashes and you hear gunshots so you and then quick cuts so it's restrained a little brutal but restrained as far as i'm concerned and that restraint was effective and then later on when the real estate agent is showing this like what's like four months later or something yeah it was was a a timeline that was going on it was like one day later one day later a month later whatever they they bought the house a year later moved in four months after that and as they're going up, you know, in this room, and then you get another quick cut, you know, to of the murder, and so on. And that was effective. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to go and go on a little tangent here and talk about my Amityville horror. And this is not George Lutz saying, you know, making a documentary I'm talking about my experience of this movie and when I first saw it, and what I thought of it then and what I think of it now. And that is that one of the great things about doing this podcast is it's enabled me to revisit many movies that I haven't seen in decades. And sometimes a movie will remain a classic in my estimation, sometimes a movie will be elevated in my estimation, sometimes it will be downgraded, and sometimes my initial impression that it wasn't that good will remain the same. Now, I recall seeing this movie 20 years ago. On VHS, my first time seeing it, my only time seeing it before I revisited for this podcast. And there are only two things that stuck with me number one, the scene with Rod Steiger as a priest, Father Delaney, and the Flies. That was a fantastic, that was cool, scene. very Italian in a way. Very, yeah, there well, there are. See, <laughs> when I was okay, so I'm looking at my notes right now, and I wrote down like full Light, yeah, yeah, lot, yeah, you know, the Red Room, right, mm-hmm. the, the, right, Portal to Hell, etc. Yeah. Very full Light. So, yeah, the Italian elements in that sense. That was a very effective scene, mostly because it really told the audience right off the bat what the Lutz's, and by proxy the audience, is up against. If a man of the cloth to walk into a house and get treated that, like, bitch-slapped, yeah, I mean, yeah. for, for lack of a better term. I mean, wow, you know, this is some serious evil in this house. So I remember that, and the only other thing that stuck with me was the immaculate quaff of James Brolin and, <laughs> and, 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 and the beard. It was so yeah. on point. Yeah. You know, At the time, I, I just thought of James Brolin as Barbra Streisand's husband. He still is. <laughs> he's got a beautiful uh, silver mane. Yeah. But in this movie, he's got this manly beard and this amazing late 70s yeah, compu- bouffant, door, yeah. bouffant, <laughs> which becomes more yeah. and more disheveled as the movie goes on. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much all I remember. And I, and I was not that impressed with it. Not that impressed. Sure. And rewatching it, not that impressed. There are many times when I thought the movie veered too far into silliness, camp. It almost became uh, the, the horror version of like Tommy Wiseau's *The Room*. Hmm. I mean, I'm thinking of the line when all of a sudden, Brogan just goes, "I'm coming apart, Mother of God, I'm coming <laughs> apart," and <I>, like <laughs> I just picture Tommy Wiseau, you know, uttering <laughs> those lines. Or silliness like seeing a pig in a window for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, or, or, those... or that
1: very ineffectual uh, kid falling down the stairs into the basement, exactly. and he cradles him in his arms. It okay. was yeah,
0: it was those eyes are peering out, they they're peering through the window towards Margot Kidder. Even that's a really ridiculous cat scare, you know. Like I mean, that was sort of like the most ridiculous of all cat scares, hmm. where you're lots of seeing through the window and the black cat is going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to me, I don't know, it just felt silly. Um, some of the scares, the, they're, the rather, scares, the scares are front end loaded. I would say, mm-hmm. as I said,
1: like the. Uh, Father Delaney, played by Rod Steiger there, like the pestilence, the obvious nod to biblical plague. Yeah, that was really something. I mean, uh, I think flies are really revolting, especially what they do, where they are, where they've mm. been. I find them gross. And, and flies the fact that they they ran that motif through yeah. the entire thing in a cool
0: way. Yeah, you know, I remember Beelzebub is uh, translated to Lord of the Flies. Yes, yeah. So flies have always been associated with Satan, so mm-hmm. it works.
1: And, uh, yeah... Let's see. I, I read the book. I believe when, when I was younger. I, I recall none of this movie, and probably for good reason. And and again, it's hard to separate out this movie from its subsequent uh, imitators, if you if you want to even give it that much credit, because every single supernatural movie. Um, has uh, the, the doubting Thomas? One of the spouses, like I really don't think we should do this. The other one convinces them. They got the dog that sniffs at something. Mm-hmm. They got the kid who starts behaving Which, weird. By the way, was I, a, I got a, that, uh, an imaginary friend? Blah blah blah. It's like the same tropes yeah. over and over yeah. again. But I, I don't want to give this credit for yeah, originating those. If, if
0: indeed it did, the worst somebody could have called the SPCA that was that's for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that the worst kept dog in history of the movie. Yeah, exactly. nobody Harry. gave a shit sure about Harry this was it Harry or dog. Perry the, the black lab yeah. all this, this dog Cute was left dog. to its own device <laughs> in the basement <days laughs> <it> scrapped away <laughs> this so called portal to hell and then at the very end all of a sudden Amy the girl was like oh we can't live without Harry it's mm-hmm. Like you didn't give a shit sure about Harry yeah, this entire <laughs> movie you know <laughs> and
1: arguably we didn't either if we didn't get its name wrong but yeah uh, right sorry we apologize but mm. yeah uh, just uh, you know added additive silliness and I was even thinking, like, geez, like, imaginary friends. This not even, like, among the better ones. Uh, there's tons of imaginary friends, you know, in your exorcists and uh, your sinisters where you get the kid to do something really mm. cool. This one was just like... Jody told me that... Uh, I I should live in this house forever. Like, oh, that's that's all you got. You got an imaginary friend who doesn't make you like cut yourself or like make you draw
0: creepy pictures. Exactly. Like come on, what a waste of an imaginary friend. And like, they didn't they didn't really re- uh, mention like who Jody was. Was Jody hmm. one of the one of the victims of the Defeo murder? It. No, I mean you're right. All they did was tell the kid, the Lutz daughter,
1: that something bad happened in her bed or something, but it wasn't deftly handled by and any means.
0: Possibly Jody was the one that locked the babysitter in the closet. Yeah, another
1: just useless know. scene. That that, yeah. that just uh, speaking of you know flashbacks, what this movie did have, but yeah, I actually had to wear a. Uh, Headgear, Headgear uh, braces well thankfully thank God <laughs> as I would have been a social outcast but I had I only had to wear them at night and I still remember the feeling of it the way it pulled on my teeth yeah it was an awful thing and it looks horrible like, God you know my heart goes out to you if you're a kid and you have to go through that yeah, or you funny. have kids who so have to go
0: through that as I was watching this movie yesterday and um, I was watching it my wife came into the uh the living room. She's watching a little bit of our energy. downtown tor- Toronto headquarters. Exactly. <laughs> you know, she's not big on horror, but she does like some of the old cult supernatural mm. stuff. And there was that scene. and I just started going off in this whole rant about the headgear and how <laughs> parents could be so awful to their kids by making them an immediate social outcast by. Wearing that ridiculous, like, it's almost like Bob Dylan playing the harmonica, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> Before, back in his folk days. Oh, and then, my God. And then I was going, going to,
1: to say Jigsaw from the Saw movies, but yeah, that, that's just good with the bear trap on the face, but and yeah. it's Today,
0: I spoke to my sister, and my, this is, like, the second podcast I'm referencing my sister, yeah. and <laughs> she was talking about my nephew, and now he's got to go through some orthod- orthodontist street. I feel, and I apologize if there's any orthodontist listening to right now, that orthodontistry is one of the most uh, dishonorable, dishonest profession in <laughs> the world. They're, they're going to find anything and everything to say to parents. You know, oh, there's this, there's that. I was told when I was young I had an overbite. I needed to get some sort of bionator or mm. something. I never got it. Mikey, they're fine. My sister is ponying up 3000 bucks for my uh, nephew to get braces, <laughs> and he's got to wear headgear, but like you, only a night. Uh, I had two giant choppers
1: that were sticking out, pr- protruding really bad like a, like a rabbit. And I, I am grateful to my <laughs> Dr. Shapiro, my orthodontist. So, yeah, they charge you up yeah, the arse like, for that. Have,
0: you would have had like a Freddie Mercury vibe. Yeah. Whatever, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> I could have been able to open cans of beer very, very easily. Uh, but, you know, we digress. Uh, yeah, that was oh, a digression, yeah. Uh, but also, like, yeah, again, the, 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 one, another hallmark of the genre is the creepy doll, but not even a good creepy doll. This was a Raggedy Ann that James Brolin, George Lutz stares at for a little while, but it wasn't like a good creepy doll scare. Because I'm, I'm game for creepy doll scares. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with those. But, yeah, this seems to have uh, generated a lot of influence, but I'm not sure why. And I don't know if I want to liken it to, like, Grandmaster Flash or something. I don't know, like, some rap that's not really, that's kind of dated, that influenced a lot of people, Mm. or some band that isn't that great, but influenced a lot of, like, I don't, I don't know. Well, this wasn't widely acclaimed when it came out. Like, no one really liked it. Right now in Rotten Tomatoes, it's not good. It doesn't have that staying power, like the Changeling, which is a truly remarkable supernatural film. Like, this just sort of seems to exist, but why? Mm. Like, who
0: likes this so much that this is... But this why do they thing. keep on carrying out sequels and remakes and reboots? And I mean, the Haunted House trope, I mean, this is something that's been... This was not invented by the Hemingville Horror. Oh, no. This, this, this goes back to, like, you know, this old Dark House and, like, movies from the 30s. Mm-hmm. And then, but, again, I, I think it's just in the wake of The Exorcist, you know? That movie was a seismic shift in horror, and it, it was a cultural phenomenon. And... I what year did the extras come out? I'm not quite sure.
1: Uh, I want to say '73.
0: Okay, so th- so this was riding on those coattails, mm. and I think because you had the uh, the Catholic Church involved, and you had, you know, like I said, the, the Stiger character, Father Delaney, the conflicts that he had with his superiors, he's claiming it's actual possession, they're saying it's not. You have the Father Bowling character. The fate, of, actually, the fate of Father Delaney was. Way more interesting to me than anything else that happened to the Lutzes in this movie. And another thing that they mentioned quite a few times, but nothing really came out of it, except for one really cheesy special effect, was this resemblance that George had to... Raul DeFeo. Yes, he was supposed to be the spitting image of him. Mm-hmm. And you know, what are we supposed to let the believe here that this is all Satan pulling the strings? Yeah, again, you know?
1: ju- just dropping the ball on another thing that could have been interesting. And yeah. uh, just uh, another one was the uh, the two priests. Uh, Father Delaney and who was the other one? He's played Volley. by Don Stroud. He's a terrific genre actor in his own right. He was in uh, Search and Destroy, uh, the last week, Death Weekend. Two really awesome Canadian horror, uh, exploitation movies. Uh, yeah, like his car becomes possessed on the highway, which is. Should be really actually terrifying like I had had brakes fail on on my Toyota And like when you're when you're out of control on, on the highway It's like that should be terrifying, but it turned into like vaudeville slapstick crap like the the hood pops up And then they veer off the road and there's just no scares to be had just another just dropped Ball another occasion where they could have done something with something cool Hell run them off the road like impale both of them impale one of them do something. It just just hung hung flat and it's a shame i mean this had the makings i think the beginning is cool first half hour i was really
0: into yeah. it and then uh, toward the end it just degenerated i agree i think it started off the gangbusters it was it was well paced the scares were parceled out nicely i love like i said before how they depicted the original murders I also love, like you know, the flashback when the whatever another stupid thing is when the real estate is sitting in the house, <laughs> he's drawing the papers, and then all of a sudden wind blows. Ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah. And then nothing. We don't know anything. Like there was never any follow up as to what happened to her. So ultimately, this is a house that was possessed by Satan, and they also talk about that perhaps Satan was the one that possessed the to murder his family. And on and on and on. But it just, like I said, it just didn't, it didn't coalesce. And, you know, there, I mentioned a really bad special effect. There was that scene where they open up a wall they, and all of a sudden it's the Red Room and you see the satanic face staring back at Lutz and it's, ex- it's his face. Hmm. Interestingly enough, that was actually James Brown's twin brother. Ooh. No, sorry, my mistake. Not his twin brother, it was his brother. They just had him grow a beard. 'Cause they wanted somebody that had a resemblance, but it wasn't his twin brother. But huh. it did look like him. But again, nothing But came to what out end, then. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I guess, do we segue now into what we've learned? Well, we've talked a lot. I mean, it's
0: I feel like <laughs> we're like...
1: Because I, I, I was going to mention that the real estate agent who calls the place a fixer-upper and says, Oh, you yeah, know Yeah, it uh, could be fun. Yeah, call call it could <laughs> <is a fixer-upper. laughs> be. And the place really needs some staging. It's really dusty and really, like, badly uh, decorated. Yeah. But, yeah, she looked a little to me like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that, but, again, one of these stupid things you think of. Uh, we also learned that... Oh, yeah, another just cheesy line when uh, I think it's the mother who's having this terrible nightmare, and she wakes up, and wakes up her husband, George, and screams as a Margot Kidder, she was shot in the head, and starts Mm -hmm. shaking. It's like, oh, no. That's supposed to be, I guess, the iconic line from the film, and it just died like a lead balloon, and I just wasn't feeling it. What did you learn?
0: Well, this was from from my crack research uh, before uh, the... uh, we recorded, I always like to read up on the movie a little bit, you know, some behind the scenes facts, etc. Um Brolin really made out of gangbusters from this movie. He because this was a low budget AIP production, he took a small salary with the agreement that he would get money back off end. the back end. Cool. And they did not expect this movie to be as profitable as it was. At the end of it all, because it was such a big hit, because it exceeded all expectations, because it was basically like a blockbuster of its day, Brolin made, in $79, $17 million. Holy crap. In profit participation, which in today's dollars would have been $55 million. Oh, so he got paid $55 so, million dollars for this. Still not enough for him to come back for any of the sequels. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's
1: that's got to be how they could afford like the likes of... Kidder, who would have been a star at the time, maybe a little faded and Steiger... No, no, I wouldn't fade it. I mean, this was like right around well, the time well,
0: Like, th-
1: but also, also maybe like, how could they? They just threw money at them. Like, Rod Steiger was in like in the heat of the night. No, he, and was, all this.
0: he was fading, but Kidder was. I mean, uh, okay, so she was on her ascent. So yeah, uh, okay,
1: yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> but
0: other than but I okay, I, and, and and
1: I don't know. Like, did you buy uh, his De- Brolin's deterioration, mental deterioration, as he like. Uh, he has to uh, prepare for his brother-in-law's wedding and he he starts to like have bad sleeps and they referenced him looking like crap did, did you buy him and his like mental breakdown or did you find that compelling or no nope, I, I wasn't like overly moved by that and he was supposed to be the you know, really the driving force between him and his wife. I I just wasn't
0: with him on that. I didn't find his performance compelling. The makeup was really bad. You know, trying to make him look all Hmm. pale and, you know, gaunt and what have you. But, no, it wasn't good. Um, Interestingly enough, I mean, I was reminded of The Witch. When he's out there, uh, chopping wood. (laughs) Yes. You've got
1: enough to... Uh, heat the whole of the South Side. I forget. I don't, why, why do I remember lines from this movie if it's so bad? And there's another one, I mean, where the priest says, blame Detroit. Like, it's not demonic possession. It's a crappy <laughs> fort. Like, why do I remember this? But maybe, I think it was also co-written by Sandor Stern, who we, we know from PIN. So maybe, like, there were, maybe to give credit where credit is due, there's some good lines, but mm-hmm. I wasn't buying it, as you said, a cohesive whole, it wasn't, and that will be reflected in my rating, mm-hmm. star rating, which I'm going to give it probably, you know, two and a half, criminally overlong, I would say, too. And I'm not using that as a pun because mm-hmm. of the fail murders, but, yeah,
0: like, my God, overlong by 30 minutes. It's interesting because the remake, the 2005 Ryan Reynolds version, runs a lean 90 minutes. Yeah. Now, I haven't seen it. But I don't want to see it. No, nor do I. Um, But, yeah, I think this movie probably would have benefited from maybe half an hour chopped out. Possibly. I mean, after a while, it's like, day 17, Wednesday. (laughs) Yeah. Day 18, Thursday. (laughs) It's like, okay, already, get to day 28. Yeah, exactly. I loved when uh, when Brolin for no for another inexplicable reason fell into a tar pit at the end of the movie <laughs> yeah. and came out looking like Tarman from *The Living <laughs> Dead*. Uh, you know, there's a lot of tar in this film. Yeah, I, again, like I feel like last week with *The Hells Eyes* remake, and this week I've been overly negative about these movies. But it's not that I don't want to like them. You know, one thing with this podcast is we will always find. The weed amongst the cave, you know, mm. we'll always find things to like. Hey,
1: and to our credit, if we want to blow our own horn here, the, the opening setup is like this beautiful pastoral, idyllic Long Island, right by the river, beautiful house, uh, like classic family uh, so The setup, the flashbacks. Like, that's all good stuff. The flies, all good stuff. So, I mean, we we give credit where it's due, and yeah. the, the soundtrack was dynamo. No, nah, but it I, was, I was the I was so, yes. At the beginning, that became, was...
0: A rote psycho ripoff. Hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Toward the I don't end, I was not know br- with that because it was it was like almost verbatim. Know, yeah, it, not, it wasn't even an, an homage
1: like it, like it is from the uh, in the Stu Gordon type or, things, or the films. Yeah, yeah. It I mean,
0: was oof. it was just pure like. <laughs> 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 so I'm giving this one a. This is gonna sound uh, criminally low to some, but I'm giving it. One and a half stars. Ooh, uh, yeah, that's up there, or down there, I
1: should say, with some of the worst uh, ratings you've ever given, I think. I think I gave Master of Disguise a (laughs) higher rating (laughs) than this one. But it's a different (laughs) milieu. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Master of Disguise is memorable only insofar as it has to be the worst comedy, I think, ever made. And uh, you'd be hard to find... We haven't done
0: Frey Got Fingered yet. No, that's coming up. I'm waiting to see that. Yeah, I can't wait. But
1: you'll definitely enjoy our five-star website, www.reallyawfulmovies.com. And, of course, check out new episodes of our Really Awful Movies podcast uploaded for your listening pleasure every Friday. And we'll definitely talk to you soon. And hopefully next week it'll be a four-star movie. I, I, I hope. I, hope. I hope. only hope. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care.